So welcome to another interview for the Zero to ASIC YouTube channel. And this week, I'm very happy to be joined by Jason Blocklove and Dr. Hammond Pierce to talk about their recent paper about using AI to design chips. So how are you both doing? Doing well. Doing really well. Thank you. Yeah, so um, maybe we'll just start off with a bit of context. Uh, you can tell us a little bit about yourselves. Sure. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, uh, my name's Hammond. Um, I'm a research assistant professor here at New York University. I'm actually about to head over to the University of New South Wales in Sydney, but I'm just finishing up my contract here at the moment. And um, my specialty over here has actually been in sort of the hardware security domain, but a huge part of that over the last few years has been this kind of explosion of AI that's being used and applied to hardware, um, particularly by uh, people with the same interests that we do in, in, our, in our research group. Um, and so Jason is a student that has joined during my time here, and um, he's also been involved with it. Yep. Yeah. So I just finished up my first year of, uh, of my PhD, uh, primarily working on, I guess, a bunch of things in hardware security. Uh, but yeah, the, the most recent effort has been with uh, trying to use large language models and AI for, uh, for generating hardware. Okay, so how how does generating hardware with AI relate to hardware security? So the big thing for us is that we know tools like GitHub Copilot are going to be used by everyone, right? And it mm -hmm. took precisely about five minutes after I got Copilot access before I was like, hey, I write a lot of Verilog. Can I write Verilog with GitHub Copilot, right? Mm -hmm. And we're not the only people with that thought. But the thing is... Uh, the way that GitHub Copilot works, right, is it's trained over a lot of open source code. And the open source examples of Verilog sometimes aren't super amazing. Uh, if you go on GitHub and, you know, you look at people's designs, some of them are great and some of them are not so great. And mm -hmm. the problem is, is the model can't differentiate between what is good and what is not so good. And so what might happen, especially if you're an inexperienced hardware designer, is you're going to rely on, you know, what's, what, the model, what, what GitHub Copilot and the other tools suggest to you. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that has that has serious implications because if they suggest to you bad things or, or code that is problematic from a security point of view, um, you know, you might not notice that. If it if it suggests to you code that doesn't work from a functional point of view, people do normally notice that the thing's not functioning, right? Like ideally, mm -hmm. you're testing your designs, but testing for security is a lot harder. And so that's really where the angle that we've come in on this is because it is difficult to test for security if you don't you know, understand the implications of what's coming out of these models, you might end up importing bad practices and security mistakes into your designs. Right. So, yeah. So how long have you been interested in using um, AIs to generate Verilog? Yeah, well, I, I, I've been doing it for about as long as I can. So I started back with GPT-2. Um, the very first work that we did was back in 2020. Um, and we trained a model that we called Dave. <laughs> uh, to produce Verilog over, you know, a very small amount of examples. We were just training it over undergraduate student work at the time. And actually, you know, like questions from textbooks and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't very good, but that was fine. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we kind of put it on the back burner until GitHub Copilot came out and we were suddenly like, wow, you know, overnight these models have gone from being sort of okay at, you know, maybe write, writing something that vaguely looks like code to already like, wow, you know, it can complete whole functions in languages like Python and have a decent pass at completing modules and languages like Verilog. And so that was what really caught our interest again. And because we'd done that foundation with um, the earlier model with GPT-2 and Dave, we already had a lot of understanding of how the models worked, what they were trained over, and sort of the kinds of, you know, ways that we could evaluate them. 
um, and and the and the interest you know, a little bit of expertise. And how did you get involved with hardware, Jason? Uh, with hardware in general, it goes back a bit further, but specifically for uh, using AI and LLMs to generate hardware, uh, it really started when uh, ChatGPT uh, 3.5 got released. Uh, Hammond and my advisor, uh, Dr. Kari, uh, both got very excited about it very quickly. And uh, suddenly I was asked like, hey, can you try to make this thing, you know, generate a, a basic shift register and generate such, such and such. And uh, GPT 3.5 was bad at it, to say the least. It was impressive how well it was doing, given that we, you know, didn't have a whole lot else to go off of. Uh, but sometimes you'd ask it to make a state machine and it wouldn't even make uh, anything that even looked like Verilog, let alone anything actually functional or synthesizable. Uh, but then we started poking at it more and more, and then GPT-4 came out, and that's really, that kind of kicked off the, oh, we can actually get this to make stuff, uh, and make stuff yeah. that works. Yeah, yeah. So maybe we can um, just bring up your paper now, and for people uh, following along, we'll put a link to the paper in the, in the description down below. It's a, a really good paper, very accessible. Um, so maybe you can just uh, give us a little overview on this uh, what's happening then what, what was your yeah. methodology yeah of course um so so the paper is called chip chat oh you scroll up a little bit it'll show the title um chip chat uh challenges and opportunities in conversational hardware design and it really was this kind of idea of you know we know that these language models are now out um and we already kind of knew that they could generate hardware from you know if we go back to github copilot um and the the earlier like gpt3 and codex models they worked on a kind of autocomplete basis, right? You give them some code and it sort of continues the code. But for mm -hmm. the first time with ChatGPT 3.5 and the other instruction models, you know, InstructGPT and, and then Hugging Face Chat and Google's Bard, and now there are other ones as well that are coming out and they're trained not to necessarily autocomplete things, but to actually in many ways have a conversation with you, right? So the sometimes they're called instructional models because that was their basis, but, you know, we... They're more like conversational models. And if you, you go on ChatGPT, you can have a conversation with it, right? And so we thought, well, that actually kind of fundamentally changes the paradigm a little bit because instead of now you, you know, really being in the driver's seat and, and writing everything and just getting suggestions, now you're really making requests of the model and say, hey, you know, finish this off or maybe there's a bug here. Can you, can you correct the bug and things like that? And the models can mm -hmm. comprehend that in a way that they didn't, they weren't previously able to. Now, our interest came into this because, again, people are evaluating these models primarily for software, right? The vast majority of the work that you go and read, it's evaluating the models usually over Python programming. But Python is Python and hardware is hardware. And there's, you know, there's attempts to join them. I know um, you're a big fan of CocoTB for testing. Um, mm -hmm. But for the actual design itself, we tend to rely on languages like Verilog still. So we thought, well, you know, let's try and come up with a systematic way to evaluate these models for specifically for Verilog, kind of like how we've done in the past with um, the other simpler models, but also trying to take advantages of the unique things that a conversation can give you, where you can have a back and forth with the model, where you're not just reliant on a single suggestion or, or, or collection of suggestions, where you can actually, you know, build a timeline of your conversation through. So that's really what we were exploring here was, you know, can these models even do it yet? 
perspective? That, that was our fundamental question. Can we actually do this? Um, and as it turns out, yeah, we kind of can, uh, and, and to, to, to greater or lesser strength. So Jason led the initial experimentation uh, phase. So if you want to talk a little bit about that, that was where we kind of tried to do it in a more structured sense. So I'll let you take over. Yeah, so yeah, the, there's, uh, a pl- there's a place in the paper, isn't there? Where, oh, yeah, um, if you scroll down to figure two, it's a good flowchart for that. Uh, okay. Back, there it is. Uh, yeah, so the initial kind of goal with that was can we – uh, give an initial specification to this LLM. Uh, we ultimately tried four, although, as I mentioned earlier, ChatGPT4 was kind of the only one that had reasonable success. Uh, but can we give a, a prompt to this large language model uh, based on just initial specifications? So generally speaking, it was what are our inputs and outputs and a vague description of how it's supposed to work and have it go all the way through Uh, making the design, making a test bench, correcting the design based on feedback from tools. We used Icarus Verilog for all of our simulations because uh, open source tools are always, you know, fun to use. And it was relatively simple to have it make uh, test benches for. Uh, And, you know, feedback, all this tool feedback until eventually we got theoretically a functioning design. Uh, That didn't always work out quite the way we wanted to, which is why we've got these uh, branching paths in the flowchart there of, you know, the initial errors, we just give it the feedback from uh, iVerilog. We just say, hey, we got these errors, please correct them. Uh, If it couldn't do that, I would give some level of like simple human feedback. There seems to be an issue with the syntax of your parameters in this file or something. Uh, If it still couldn't fix that, we'd go on to moderate feedback of, this parameter has incorrect syntax, please fix it. Uh, And then advanced human feedback, if is saying something along the lines of, this is where the syntax is wrong, this is uh, a general idea of how to fix it, up to the point of, if I had to give actual Verilog saying, this is what would fix it, uh, we consider that a failure. At that point, uh, at that point, it's no longer doing the writing of the Verilog. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was the initial set of experiments was, you know, can we keep this as insular of a loop as possible and have it just purely create both the design and the verification uh, set up for that design? Yeah. And so that's something, a point I want to make is in this work, uh, we didn't write any of the Verilog. Uh, the only thing that we wrote um, was the specifications for these initial experiments yep. and the uh we you know we got chat gpt to actually write its test benches itself because uh that was you know a big part of this is we really want it to be yeah so just there figure four is you know once you've got the design can we actually now get the the tool to to make its own test bench to actually test its own design yep um mm-hmm. one of the main findings from that though is that actually it's not nearly as good at testing as it is at writing <laughs> yeah uh, we've got some theories about that mainly to do with the availability of open source all of these models are trained over just open source examples and mm-hmm. open source designs don't have you know not very many of them have really well made super comprehensive test benches and even when they do a test bench is so tightly coupled to what it's testing that it's difficult to generalize that knowledge right i could show you 100 test benches for 100 different designs but if you don't really know the theory of what's going on trying to come up with a test bench for a 101st design is still going to be a very difficult task yeah yeah. So based on what we learned from that first set of experiments, which is that functionality was pretty good with ChatGPT4 and maybe not so much the other models, uh, and the test benches were kind of middling for all of them, 
we thought, well, okay, let's take the strengths here. And the strengths is that ChatGPT4 is very good at writing functional code. So we said, let's make a harder design. We'll have it unstructured this time. We'll just rely on human feedback the whole time. And we'll try and make something big. So we, we just, we big but limited by our new constraint, which is that we just learned out about tiny tape out. So we thought, hey, you know, let's make something that, you know, that pushes the model to its limits, but can still fit within the constraints of tiny tape out, because that's now really interesting. That adds in another flair and another challenge to the design task, because now you have real world design constraints hmm. in that, you know, I said, I want to make a processor. We go, okay, we have to fit a processor into tiny tape out three. That's not a lot of space, right? So now not only are we making a processor, we can't really make a processor like all the other ones that are on GitHub because they're not, they're just straight up not going to fit on tiny tape out. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, I'm a computer engineer. I went, okay, you know, let's go back to, you know, 1970s computer architectures, right? We'll, we'll do an accumulator-based design. They're really small. We'll cut out as many features as possible. We'll make it eight bits, and then we'll, we'll see if we can fit that into tiny data. And so that's what we did. And, and the next part, if you scroll down a little bit more, um, we said, okay, you know, the strengths are... The strengths are the the uh, oh yeah here's here's some great that that figure on the right with the <laughs> that was hugging chat trying to yeah. write the shift register um, so you can see hugging chat not not quite so good at writing Verilog as the yeah other I don't think models. I think I think I think the synthesis tools would choke on that I, yeah just a little yeah I, my favorite is that it says grandpa in the middle if you take a look <laughs> super super helpful um but yeah uh, so scrolling down a little bit more sorry i got distracted when i saw that that's it's just so great yeah so uh keep going keep going keep those going are, those are the benchmark results yeah yeah so here we there go, we go. Free chat. yeah so here we go so you can see my prompt there up on the top left and figure whatever it is figure 10 um so you see that it says let's make a new brand new microprocessor we're constrained on space and io thanks to tiny tape out we have to fit in a thousand standard cells um so we're going to restrict ourselves to an accumulator right and so i let in many ways, ChatGPT actually, you know, tell me what to do. And then I gave it help as well. So, so it said, you know, these are the steps to design a computer processor, you know, you need to make an ISA, then you need to make components, then you need to wire the components. And I was like, great, you know, that mm -hmm. is that is the steps to make a processor. So so then that's kind of what I did. So I, I shepherded the model to, um, to cut, try and come up with its own design, you know, back and forth. And then I tried to preempt mistakes that it made. So if I saw it was making a really bad choice in the ISA, I would say, you know, don't do that. Or, you know, when it made the branching instructions to begin with, the first attempts were just horrible. Actually, it bamboozled me. We had to go back and fix them later. Which um, So in the, in the conversation flow map on the right there, we broke up the, the topics for each part of the process of design into a number of different threads on uh, on uh, you know the chat gpt interface and we did that because these models can only ingest a certain amount of information yeah. right they have a fixed amount of what's called their their window size or their context size which is the amount of io or the, the amount of text they can comprehend at any given time it has a finite limit now they don't actually say what that limit is for chat gpt but we can guess because we know that their previous sort of model they talked about was GPT-3, and that could handle about uh, 8,000 tokens, which is about, um, what is that, about 24,000 characters or something like that, right? So it's not a huge amount of text. So as the conversations got longer, we tended to just cut them off and then start a new conversation. And I would copy and paste in just what we needed for that specific conversation to get it started again. Hmm. So you can see that the first conversation, we did the specification, that was the ISA, right? So I, I made you know, back and forth over the course of that says 22 messages there. Um, we built 
all of the instructions that we would need to actually make the processor work. And then after that, we then made the registers and then we made the, uh, oh, we specified the registers, which registers we need, then we made them, then we started planning what was going to happen in each clock cycle, and then we planned out what control signals we would need. And eventually we then wired it all together and um, I actually got it to make its own assembler for it. And you can see that that only took three messages because, again, these models are so much better at Python than they are in anything. I just gave it the ISA it made and went, write me an assembler. And it did it in a single pass, basically. I was like, wow, okay, cool. Um, yeah, the, uh, and then once we had the assembler, then I could actually start to test it, right? And so this is where I started writing code again. I did make the test bench for the processor because I knew that it was not very good at making test benches. So that was mm -hmm. the one thing I made was the test bench. Uh, and then using the assembler that it made, I wrote some small programs. And you'll see the very first thing we did uh, was I went back and <laughs> was like, oh, no, there's a terrible mistake to do with the branching logic because we just can't branch the the number of instructions we need to branch to achieve anything. So I had to go back and change a whole load of stuff, uh, which we then did by kind of going back to the conversations we'd already started and saying, okay, you know, I've done testing, the branching doesn't work very well, let's let's try and fix this. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, and eventually we ended up with a, with a full design um, taking, it took 125 messages to do it, but uh, it was actually remarkably quick. I think all up, you know, 125 messages to build a whole processor is, short right like um if if you imagine that each message sort of takes maybe a minute that's 125 minutes um of course it's not because chat gpt has some crazy rate limiting so you can only do 25 messages in three hours but um you know realistically if that wasn't there you could imagine that i've built a whole processor in just a couple of hours with the help of ai and that's not just a processor that exists before. This is a whole brand new processor with a brand new ISA, which is bizarre enough that I don't think anyone else would want to make a design quite like it. But the, yeah. the point is that you know this is such an enabler. And that's, to me, the power of this new AI stuff is it's such an enabler and a force multiplier for engineers in, 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 in this and other spaces. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was uh, just chatting with somebody earlier and they said, as far as I can tell right now, it's just throw spaghetti at the wall and let the human figure out if it's any good. <laughs> yeah. So is, yeah, that, so is that how it's been in your experience? And um, uh, maybe we can like dig into the verification side of it a bit, because I think if I was doing this, I would be very worried that it would include some bugs that, I mean, it's very difficult to get high test coverage anyway, even if you've written your own design. So how can you ever really trust what's coming out of these models? Yeah, so we, we ran into that a lot, especially with uh, my tests because I had it create those test benches uh, where the coverage was generally very poor. Uh, there were a number of cases where it would actually just have a comment in the middle of the test bench saying, add more test cases here, <laughs> uh, expecting the human to do that because I, I think to a certain extent, uh, you know, it knows as much it's, as it can know. Well, it's things, learned that from somewhere, it hasn't it? It's learned it from these cases. Um, it's it's but, read all these open source test, bent, test yeah. cases where someone's like wrote, wrote a note to themselves in the future. Must add more tests later. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> to do. But yeah, we, we ended up running to a, a number of issues. One of them was with that test coverage thing. Uh, I mentioned this before, but uh, the dice roller benchmark. I made a benchmark mm -hmm. that you select 
one of four different types or numbers of sides of a die, and it rolls a random number for you. Uh, and the one that actually made it on Tiny Tape Out, the first one that I ever tried, the test bench says that it passes. It the, the, yeah. had it make a self-checking test bench. It would report if it passed all the tests. It reported that it passed all the tests. But the thing it tested for was just, is the number that it rolled within the bounds of the number of the sides of the die? So if you're rolling a five-sided okay. Out of die or six out of die is it between one and four or one and six it always rolls a one it's just it exclude it rolls a single two because there was a bug where it wasn't ro- where it was rolling a zero to start with so now it rolls a single two and then ones no matter what you uh, put into it so it's it's a big issue of you know if you're uh, a new designer who doesn't understand testing very thoroughly and things like yeah. that and you just trust that this test bench says that it passes suddenly you have a design that absolutely does not do what it's supposed to do but because uh the ai wrote this test bench that says it does you just end up taking it at face value Uh, and another one uh and another problem we ran into a lot was with any of our designs that involved state so there are a number of state machines in those tests uh, one really good example is a, a traffic light controller. So it just sits at, um, it outputs a red light for, I think, 32 clock cycles, and then a uh, green light for 20, and then a yellow light for seven, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it does a very bad job keeping track of what state it's in, in the testing. Uh, so it ends up saying like, oh, well, I just finished red. Now the next correct state must be yellow. And well, no, that's not how a traffic light works. Uh, so again, eventually kind of worked through some of those issues and it was better at fixing the problems with, uh, tracking states than it was at fixing just general test coverage issues, but Mm -hmm. it still ran into a lot of these problems where if you're not a hardware designer, you don't really understand how to fix them. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, go ahead. Okay. So this was the, uh, QT challenges one. So if people want to, uh, look a bit closer at these designs, obviously they're all on the internet. Yep. Um, and here you can uh, even see the. the... Yeah, all of the prompts uh, are very are, are included uh, in the GitHub itself. There is a folder for the conversations that has absolutely everything put in and marked down. Uh, yeah, and then the documentation includes, uh, in some cases, includes both the expected functionality and what it actually does. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, fits fits easily. This one. Oh yeah. Yeah, that one wasn't quite such a struggle like our uh, like the full process of design was. Yeah, yeah, the, the benchmarks are nice and small. And then this one is the processor. Yes, so this is the full processor. There's actually two versions on Tiny Tape Out because we had another PhD student who did an additional experiment using the processor once it was built. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so you can see everything here um, and all the designs. And um, I actually did test it. Uh, in addition to in simulation, I put it to an FPGA and we tested it on oh, an that's FPGA good idea. as well. Yeah. That's why I've got a little bit of C code in there because that's what I used. Um, so getting it to fit was a bit of a challenge. <laughs> yeah, sixty percent. Congratulations! Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was Whoa. a bit of a chore. You can see it's a bit tight. Um, the uh, I got um, ChatGPT to parameterize the memory space so that I could easily from the top level file, which is kind of like the wrapper, which I excluded from its um, excluded from its authorship. Uh, was all I did was change the parameter size in there and just kept reducing mm-hmm. the size of memory until it would fit basically. Um, but yeah, so it was a it was a bit of a challenge, but it worked pretty well in the end. And um, you know, we were we were generally pretty um, 
yeah you know I, i've been working with these models for a while and to go in like three years from struggling to write a basic flip-flop to fully architecting a processor is pretty impressive and yeah i'm yeah. very interested to see where it goes in the next three years and then taping it out so is this do, yeah. do you think this is the first um ai written core to be taped out yes yeah, I do. We we asked a few. We've asked around a little bit. Um, no one can say for sure, but we we've asked quite a few people that we feel like are at least adjacent yeah. to the field, and so yeah. we're pretty confident in, in saying that you know we we believe this is the world's first AI written hardware for tape. Yes, you're welcoming in our new AI overlords. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes. Okay. So. Um... What else do you want to talk about? Um, maybe you can tell me a little bit about your plans for the future. Yeah. Um, so in terms of career-wise, I'm obviously about to head over to Australia. Actually, my Australian email and contact is already on the paper, uh, in case you're confused, because um, mm -hmm. it doesn't say New York University, even though that's where I introduced myself from. Um, but yeah, the the in terms of research, I'm super excited to continue working with these models to try and address the weaknesses that we've identified that, you know, it's still not so good at verification um, and testing and that sort of thing. We want to make the models better at that because in many ways, that's the bit that they can be most useful at actually. Um, testing yeah, is hard. Yeah, no one likes writing test benches. <laughs> no, no one likes writing testing and testing well is hard. It's a, it's a properly mm. difficult skill. And if you have a look at, you know, the, the, you know, you look at the design process flow for real world chips and you talk to Intel and they'll say they spend 10, 10 times the amount of design time on verification because it's so critical to, to get right. Uh, and mm. there's so many things you need to check for, not just from functionality, as I brought up, you do also need to check for security properties if your code's ever going to, or your design is ever going to be doing anything related to any kind of critical task. Mm -hmm. um, so having... AI that might be able to guide you and, and maybe even teach human engineers how to do that testing, it's going to be a big force multiplier for engineers that know what they do and a kind of democratizing force, hopefully, for people who don't know what they're doing. But of course, the challenges right now is that, you know, the models are not super competent. And so, you know, I, I'm comfortable in saying, you know, I'm a hardware engineer, I can sit down with the model and, you know, get a chip done really quickly, because I can see the mistakes it's making. Jason can do that, too. Um, it, although with Jason, we didn't let him tell him. Yeah, the model. I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't get the chance. <laughs> yeah. There's no, there's no feedback loop in there for Jason saying it's <laughs> bad. Um, but yeah, no, the, um, so the, the, the thing that the, the, the point that we're trying to make with the early experiment is, you know, Jason was pretending he didn't know what he was doing. And so as a result, you know, as we said, we're taping out a, a dice roller that doesn't work because, <laughs> That was the kind of the goal of the experiment. We go, you know, Jason's pretending he doesn't know what he's doing. And as a result, you know, no one caught. The, These the are the error. kinds of results you might expect. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so, uh, whereas, you know, you pair it with a more experienced designer, you can get something along the, the, the lines of the second experiment, which was, you know, we got a processor out of it. So mm -hmm. what we want is for the second experiment results to be more like the first one, where you can give it the, you know, the model to someone who doesn't necessarily know what they're doing. And you say, hey, you know, how do we make a processor? Okay, let's now do these steps together and, and, and not need to worry so much about the mistakes that the model might make. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, thanks very much for uh, sharing your knowledge um, and, the, and writing the paper. F for people that want to get in touch and find out more, they should email you on the uh, links in the paper, I guess. Yes. Yeah. The, our email addresses are just at the beginning and the paper is mm -hmm. on archive, so it's freely accessible. You don't need to worry about paywalls or anything like yeah. that.
and we'll link that down in the video description. Great. Well, um, thanks very much again for your time and uh, have a great rest of your evening. Thank thanks. you so much. Well. This was a lot of fun. Yep.